from the Ohio School Boards Association, I'm Scott Kerfin. This is Leading the Way, brought to you by Sedgwick. I want to welcome in Dr. Lisa Hinkleman. She's the founder and CEO of Ruling Our Experiences, or ROCKS. Uh, I heard Lisa speak at OSBA's Central Region Fall Conference back in September, and uh, her message and the mission of this nonprofit uh, really resonated with me. So I wanted to make sure more of our OSBA members could hear about it. Uh, Lisa, when I go to the Ruling Experiences website, I see the question, why girls? So I'm going to start with that because I think your answer will give our, our listeners an idea of what Rocks does. Absolutely. Well, first, thanks for having me. I'm I'm excited to share some of our work and research. Um, but when that question comes up, why girls? And we get it a lot. Like, why why do we need a gender specific program? What are the difference in the differences in the issues impacting girls? So what we know is that the, the world treats girls differently and girls experience the world differently. Um, we've done some very large scale national research with over 11,000 girls and asked them about the issues impacting their lives, asked them about their thoughts, um, their opinions about a wide range of, of topics and, and looked at data that focuses centrally on the experiences of girls in our world right now. And what we learned is that girls have a tremendous decline in confidence between fifth and ninth grade, and that it doesn't come back up. So we see about a 26% drop, and then it kind of hangs out throughout the rest of high school. We also see about a, a third of girls who say that they stay away from leadership positions because they don't want people to think they're bossy. Uh, about half of girls say that they're afraid to speak their mind or disagree with others because they want to be liked. So, so what we're finding is that the way that the world is treating girls and then ultimately what girls internalize about themselves and their abilities is under tremendous stress, particularly during these middle school and early high school years. So I think that we have the responsibility to first understand girls' lives from girls themselves and then determine what kind of responsive supports we need to provide. And that's really what ROCKS is focused on. So, so tell me how this all began for you. I, I think it kind of started in college for you, right? Well, uh, some of the work and research began in college for me. Um, I did my master's degree and PhD at Ohio State. Um, and, and my work as a counselor and also as a researcher really centered on the experiences of girls. But the, the concept and the earliest research around rocks began when uh, in my second year as a professor at Ohio State in the counselor education program. And I was working in, uh, and my students were working in a lot of schools throughout central Ohio, but I was also working with community counseling organizations. And I what I kept seeing was that girls' experiences were very universal in despite the, the environments where they came from, whether they were in communities that were affluent or communities that were high poverty. What I saw was that this these confidence challenges, these relationship challenges, this um, sense of self was, was impacted across the board. And um, so in 2006, actually, was the very first uh, pilot of the ROCKS program. And we started with uh, 57 girls 
in Columbus City Schools and pre-tested and post-tested and developed a curriculum to really address some of these challenges in a safe environment that was delivered by, by school counselors and allowed the girls to speak openly about what they were facing and also allowed them to develop new skills along the way. And um, so since 2006, a lot has happened. Um, yeah. In 2011, I, I left the university to really put my efforts and energy behind rocks. And uh, because I saw that girls needed this more than ever and that I, I can make a difference in this space. And so in two, 2011, rocks became a nonprofit. And we've been running as fast as we can since then. Uh, we now have programs in 24 states and work really hard to stay current on the issues that are facing girls. Because think about it, in 2006, social media wasn't even a thing yet. Right. And so nothing in, in rocks or our conversations addressed that. And now we see the influence and impact of that uh, so pervasively throughout girls' lives. So we continue to stay current to use our research to help inform what we're talking about girl what we're talking to with girls and what we're having them learn so that they can navigate this current world in the in the strongest and and most effective way possible uh, how many how many girls have registered for rocks programs and can you kind of talk about what some of these programs entail or what they involve yeah so since our since we began we've had over 30,000 girls um, participate in rocks which is uh, which is quite remarkable. And uh, what what it looks like is that we we train and license female school counselors, social workers, or licensed educators. And then they come to us for a three-day training in person or virtually. And then they take this curriculum. We have an elementary and a secondary curriculum. They take that back to their schools and they deliver it in small groups with girls. It's a 20-week, 20-lesson experience. And, um, and it is a place where girls can explore, where they can speak openly, where they can take on some of the challenges that they're facing. So we've got lessons on team building. We've got experiences where girls are learning how to communicate effectively and in healthy ways, where they learn how to stand up for themselves and set boundaries and have brave conversations. Uh, we help girls navigate the complex relationship challenges that they face because one of the things we hear from teachers and administrators a lot is about girl drama. Like, and if these girls, these girls are so dramatic and they're so mean to each other and I just don't even know what to do about it. So we really take on those challenges that are facing girls, which really is conflict and, and help them learn how to manage that in healthy, more productive ways. And then we also do work on violence prevention, where we help girls set boundaries and stand up for themselves. We teach all of the girls physical self-defense and safety. Um, and then we also talk about future, like leadership and career development and, and academic planning. Because for us, we, we don't want girls to be held back in any space of their lives because they're girls. So we don't want them to internalize any of the restricting messages that they're receiving. We want them to have a chance to have agency and make choices about the future that they want for themselves. Yeah, you know, and I see, uh, well, I saw an article uh, yesterday about uh, girls in, in STEM, 
getting them more interested in because maybe they don't think they belong in something like that, right? Well, I'm, I'm so glad you brought that up. So we also released a, a, a girls in STEM report that looked at the data um, of how girls see themselves, their interest in STEM careers, but also their, their perception of their abilities in STEM careers. And for, and for so often people think that, hey, we just have to give girls exposure to STEM. So we just need to have them experience STEM activities and be around STEM role models. And that's the pathway forward. And so that's really been the focus, I would say, for the past 20 years is, is interest and, and role models. And what we found is that it hasn't moved the needle in the ways that we would have hoped. So it was so interesting because what our data found is that girls' interest in STEM increased from elementary school to middle school and on to high school. So that dispelled the myth that like girls just aren't interested in STEM. So what we saw was their interest increase, but simultaneously what we saw was that their perceptions of their abilities decreased. So it, it's not so much that they don't have interest, they do have interest, but their internal sense of their abilities is what's declining. And so, so they don't think that they're smart enough for their dream job, or they don't think that they're smart enough for a STEM career or field. And so for us, that, that was really instructive that we need to make partnerships and En-ROADS with folks who are focused on STEM because they can bring the STEM experiences and the robotics camps and the opportunities for exposure to role models. But we also have to focus on how we build up girls to see herself as having a STEM identity, like being that fits with who I am and how I see myself. That's one of the missing pieces to the puzzle, I think, when it comes to how we're going to actually make headway and gains in the representation of girls in STEM fields. Uh, how does a school district or a school get involved in ROCKS? Yeah, so we have a lot of different ways that it's happened over the years. Sometimes uh, a school counselor will learn about rocks and say, I want to come to this training and then take it to her administrator to get the support to do that. Sometimes we have administrators, uh, principals or superintendents say, oh man, I just learned about this program and I'd like to invite my counselors or, or social workers to attend the training and implement. Um, for us, it's a matter of finding the entry point uh, in the way that makes the most sense and has the most inspired facilitators behind us, right? So oftentimes uh, figuring out from the administrative standpoint how a program like ROCKS can align with the other initiatives and goals of the district of really focusing on the cultivation of female leaders and giving girls opportunities in spaces where the data shows us that they need a little extra support. So for us, it's just about having that key person reach out to our team and then we go through a process where we have an application and interview for all of our facilitators, facilitate them through the training, and then we support them after they go through the training. So I've been to a lot of trainings, and I'm sure you have too, where you go to this training, you get your binder, you put it on your shelf, and you, <laughs> you do whatever you feel like it along the way. So we've learned that that doesn't really provide fidelity or support. And so from the time that a facilitator goes through our training, She's really part of our, our family at that point. And so we support her with 
all of the data, you know, to be able to show the impact of her program. We do the back ends of all of her registration. We drop ship all of her materials to her school where all the girls get t-shirts and binders and, you know, water bottles and sunglasses, all the like rock swag that they like. Right. And then we also have a supportive um, component for parents where all of the parents of rocks girls or guardians get a book resource and get access to our research and training institute that has a lot of video clips and webinars and tools tip sheets strategies to help them start conversations with their girls um, and then we really work to have a comprehensive implementation so that we can do professional development for the staff at the school or share our research with the entire school community so that what girls are learning in rocks is being enforced and reinforced by the other adults throughout her life from teachers, counselors, administrators, and, and parents. Um, and so we, we charge a um, $600 fee for the three-day training for the facilitator. And then it's $100 per girl uh, for the implementation. That's not a fee that we charge to families. So we work with schools and a lot of schools right now are using ESSER funds to support this. Um, we also write a lot of grants to foundations and community organizations because we just never want cost to be a barrier. And uh, we never want rocks to be a have or a have not thing for individual families or for districts. And so our growth is really powered by school partnerships and community and philanthropic partnerships. Uh, you mentioned parents and families. I assume the buy-in there has been tremendous as well with this program. You, you know, it really has because it's really hard to argue like, I don't want my girl to be stronger or I don't want her to have a voice or to be a leader. You know, I, I think that parents now, they, they recognize how complicated the world is for girls. And Gosh, even more so since COVID and the data is showing that, that their stress and their pressure is up and their coping strategies are down. And it's like whatever resource that um, that folks can find to help support and, and empower their daughters, it's it's kind of inarguable that, that we don't want that for our girls. And so we really work hard to try to support parents in their journey too, because you know, as parents, we might not have had the chance to learn these things along our journey. And we might have also experienced some of the things that we're watching our girls experience, like drops in confidence or body image issues or complicated relationships or, you know, questions about our own worth or abilities. And for us, we need girls to have a safe place where they belong, where, they, where they're supported, where they can, can learn how to experience themselves as capable and competent. And um, and I think in so many ways, Rox is doing that for for thousands of girls, and and we're really proud of that. I I don't want to forget to mention you do have a book out there. Well, I think it's been out for yeah, Girls Without Limits, right? And I did yeah, two editions with this. I, I yes, I yeah. The second edition came out in 2021, and um, it is really uh, what I would say is a tool for the adults. Um, it's not a book for girls. It's a tool for adults that really compiles the data and the experiences along with case studies and sentence starters and activities. Um, it's, it's a topical book where, you know, there's a chapter about social media. There's a chapter about body image. There's a chapter about career development, you know, really 
taking on some of these big challenges in really bite-sized pieces and tangible ways to say like, I can read this chapter. I don't have to do it all in order. I could just take this chapter. And then I've got some things to start a conversation with my girl about, whether it's my daughter or granddaughter or niece or student or mentee. It's a place to say like, hey, I, I heard this stat. What do you think about that? Yeah. Give them the chance to respond back, to be the expert. And sometimes just having that little tidbit to start the conversation is enough. It takes the nervousness away. It takes the paralysis of like, I don't even know how to start talking to her about this. And it kind of lowers the anxiety for the adults. And I'm, I'm happy that we've been able to put a tool together um, that allows for some really constructive conversations to happen and also new information for adults who have girls who are like, man, I didn't even know some of this. I didn't even know some of these stats. And, and I'm, I'm glad to be able to kind of have that opportunity to increase those conversations because ultimately it's increasing the support and the understanding of that girl. You know, you mentioned stats, and that's really what caught my attention uh, during the fall conference that I, that I talked about at the beginning of the podcast. You started, you know, spewing out some of these stats. I'm like, wow, I did not know that. And so that's why I found it so interesting and, and why I wanted to have you on. Uh, final thoughts that you want to leave us with? You know, I, I think my, my final thoughts would be like, when I, when I started this work in 2006, I thought the world was hard for girls. Um, and I never could have envisioned, you know, 15 years later, how much more challenging it is and how social media makes girls' lives very complex and how the stress and pressure in every aspect of her life has been so amplified from what her body looks like to where she's going to college to how she performs on her sports team or in her, or in her music concert, like everything's under such intense scrutiny. And I think for those of us who are influencing girls as, as parents or as mentors or teachers, we didn't have that same heightened scrutiny. We may have had challenges and rough things, but I didn't grow up with a, you know, a constant reel of feedback given to me about everything that wasn't okay about me. Yeah. And, and so I think we have to recognize that our lives look different than theirs and they're the experts on their lives right now. We're, we may have been a teenager once, but we're not right now. And so helping them uh, and, you know, invite us in and share with us their lived experiences without judging it, without telling them that it's wrong, without telling them they, that they shouldn't care, that social media is stupid, like connecting with them on where they are and what they're feeling and what their authentic experiences are in this moment is what they want. They want to be understood. They want to be listened to. They want to be valued. They want, um, they want us to listen without judging and they want to be able to share things without getting in trouble. And so I think opening those doors to that conversation and relationship cultivation is, is powerful. And girls need that in every space of their lives. And I think as educators, we have the chance to be that, that caring adult who, uh, who gives of ourself to the girls in the ways that they need it most right now. Dr. Lisa Hinkleman, she is the founder and CEO of Ruling Our Experiences, or Rocks, and the website again is, Lisa? It's rulingourexperiences.org. 
Lisa, thanks for coming on the OSBA podcast. Uh, some great information. It was really nice to, to talk to you again. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Student transportation is a tremendous responsibility for boards of education. It not only involves buses and drivers, but careful planning and an awareness of a multitude of laws, rules, and regulations. To help districts improve the effectiveness of their student transportation systems, OSBA's Transportation Services team is prepared to assist districts with issues such as safety, operations, and financial matters. OSBA even offers a unique subscription service to support districts with their transportation needs, the Virtual Transportation Supervisor Program. Learn more about VTS and other transportation services at www.ohioschoolboards.org.